clearly means I have two roles right now. Um, on the one hand, I am working with the community groups and the DNA groups to, to work together on how we can grow as disciples who are making disciples. Um, so actually, one of the things, just want to put it out there, um, coming up in the fall, we're going to be looking to start up some more uh, community groups. So if you really, if God's really laying out in your heart that you would like to be a community group leader, um, please feel free to come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, also, I'm sure you can talk with Pastor Ken, too, when he's uh, back. And uh, I'd love to get uh, talking with you about what being a community group leader looks like. Um, the other role that I have is I'm also working with the youth group. Um, so part of working with the youth group means I'm working with as, as a part of the team with the youth group leaders that are already there. And we're working together on how we as a group and we with the parents can be investing in the students to be, help them grow as also disciples who are making disciples. So I kind of have that, that dual role, as, um, but the focus is how, how are we bringing, or how are we growing as the disciples? Um, so this morning, um, we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series about our core values as a church. Um, we've been going through this series for two reasons. Uh, the first is because as we would talk about our core values, our core values operate as a guardrail for us as a church. They keep us moving forward together on mission towards Christ. The second is because the collective values of individuals and family and, and families ultimately become the values of the church. Uh, last week, um, Pastor Ken kind of brought us, brought us through what it means to be a, um, a church that values biblical teaching and preaching as one of the foundations of a Jesus-centered church. We saw that our purpose for reading our Bibles is not just for knowledge, but it's about our relationship with Jesus and the transformation of our hearts to love God and love people. Well, this morning, we're looking at the core value of prayer and what a Jesus-centered church prays like. Here's our official statement on prayer. We value prayer. We recognize the sufficiency and grace of God that is available to renew and refresh us through communication with him. Prayer expresses our dependence on him, our trust in him, and our partnership with him in building his kingdom. So this morning, we're going to see how our relationship with God determines the why, how, and what we pray. We're going to look at three attitudes that affect our relationship with God in prayer and the real values behind them, based primarily out of the book of Job. Now, if you've read through the book of Job, and um, you might be thinking a little bit like I was on Friday morning when God woke me up and gave me okay, preach, or work, work out of the book of Job. I'm like, God, um, Job's a lot about suffering. Uh, and a lot of, uh, how, so how am I going to be preaching on prayer in the middle of suffering? But God kind of helped me realize, Job, while it's about suffering, it's also about how we relate to God in the middle of that. So it's how we respond to God in our relationship with him, especially in hard times. 
So this morning, we're going to look at different characters in the book of Job and see how their responses expose different ways that we approach God in prayer. So I'm going to step back just a little bit and give you a little background on the book of Job. Um, the book of Job starts in verses 1 through 5, where we learn that Job was a wealthy man in every sense of the word. Um, he had a big family. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had a lot of possessions, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 3, camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. Now, that's a lot, um, especially in the standards of the day. He had a big business. He had, it says he had very many servants. And he had a robust spiritual life. To the point where we find out in verse 5 that when his kids were done eating meals with one another, um, and this is, this is a quote from verse 5, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned, and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So Job has, has a, a relationship with God. Um, but then one day, things go wrong. Um, verses 13 to 19 describe how Job's three, three remaining servants, run up right after each other to him and tell him his family, his possessions, and his business are gone. All that he has left is himself, his wife, and his three servants, and for a time, his health. But even his health goes away in chapter 2, and Job, his wife, and friends are left asking, why? Now, while we may not have had circumstances this extreme, I'm sure we've all had circumstances where we're left wondering what's going on. And like with Job, his wife, and friends, the way that we relate to God becomes overwhelmingly apparent. So one attitude we can take towards God in prayer is deciphering. Having a deciphering attitude towards prayer means when we pray, we're first and foremost looking to try to figure out God, figure out our situation, and then do whatever's in our power to get God to respond the way we want. Here's an example from the, from the Bible about what his deciphering attitude looks like. Now Job's three friends, after hearing about the disaster that had happened to him, come along and, and try to comfort Job. So first, after hearing Job lament over his situation, one of his friends speaks up, Eliphaz. And he speaks up in, in Job 4, 7, and 8 and says, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or were, where were the upright cut off? As I've seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble wreak the same. Then he goes on in uh, chapter 5, 8, and 9 to say, As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable marvelous things without number. Really, the basic assumption behind Eliphaz's counsel is that because God takes care of the innocent, and it doesn't look like God's taking care of Job, then Job must not be innocent. This is a very simplistic 
A plus B equals C approach to understanding how God interacts in relationship with his followers. And it reduces the relationship to an equation. Now, Job's other two friends are kind of do the same thing. Bildad and Job 8, and Zophar and Job 11 follow the same, the same line of reasoning, just with different, different pieces. So they say, because God is like A, and B happened, then this C is the logical conclusion. Most often that Job's did something wrong. Now, the challenge is that all three of Job's friends knew core truths about God, but because they were so laser-focused on deciphering the what and why of the situation, using only those truths, they missed out on relating to God in the process and watching him reveal more of who he was to them and what he was doing. So here's the challenge that we face when we come to God in prayer with a deciphering attitude. We move from a position where we're depending on him and, and trusting in him and partnering with him in building his kingdom to a position where we're treating God as an object to build our own. Now, now don't, don't hear me wrong here. I, I'm not saying that it's wrong to try to understand God. God wants us to learn more about him. I, I'm also not saying that it's bad to ask God to fix our circumstances. But my, the point is, where's our heart motive? Do we first and foremost want to know God and understand him in relationship? Or do we want to come to him to decipher what we can get out of him? It's the difference between treating God like an object who gives us stuff or someone we're in relationship with. This is the difference between coming at God and coming to be with God. Now, now here's how this heart, of, heart attitude starts to affect what we believe about prayer. We start to believe things like, if I pray hard enough, God will respond to my prayer. In other words, if, if I work hard enough, if I work hard enough at prayer, I can make God respond. Another one is, if I ask enough times, maybe God will get sick of hearing me pray about it and, and he'll respond. In other words, I can wear God down. If I live a good, righteous life, then God will answer me with what I pray for. In other words, God, give me what I want because I've earned it. Now, do you, do you hear the motivation in there? Do you hear, the, hear all the eyes? It, there are way more eyes in this than there are state, uh, in these statements than God. See, really... At the heart of it all, we want a God who operates on our terms, who, who's safe and predictable and controllable. And this is an intensely us-centered attitude focused on living life on our own terms. And there's our problem. When we allow this attitude to take root in our conversations with God, which, which is what prayer is, and our relationship with him 
and, our, and in our relationship with him, we begin carrying on a one-sided conversation where we're no longer listening to God unless what he says serves our conveniences. So let's look at another character. Let's, let's look at Job and see how he responded in the situation. Now see, Job was coming to grips with what he knew about God and what had happened to him, his, his A and B. He knew that God was just, which was his A, and that his family and that he and his family were innocent, which was, was his B. But the results, the C that he was experiencing, didn't fit the A plus B equals C pattern. Now, now Job continued to have a relationship with God and so asked God why. Because the situation just, just didn't make sense. Now, here Job encountered a different challenge. As he, sought, as he sought God for answers, God appeared to be silent, and he wasn't really interested in answering Job. So while Job waited, he, he too began to decipher for himself that God's silence equaled that he didn't care, which really clashed with one of the core truths that Job already knew about God. Job's immediate response to God was slightly different than Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, his, his three friends. However, Job, too, slid into the same attitude of deciphering, as his desire to get a relationship, or his desire to get an explanation from God became the prerequisite, or the, the requirement, for his relationship with God. Here's what Job says uh, to his, his friends and to God in Job 13, 18 through 22. He says, Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I will, would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, and then, I will hide my, and then I will hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand from me, and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will speak. Or let me speak, and you reply. See, Job was so focused on his answers that that became the terms of his relationship with God. But we, we can clearly see that Job didn't stop speaking with God, which was awesome, absolutely amazing. He, he's still praying. And God's still listening, but Job doesn't feel like God is. Job's failed attempts to decipher his situations and God's participation in them moved him from a deciphering attitude to an attitude of discouragement. This is our second attitude for today. Here's what a, an attitude of discouragement looks like in prayer. After having tried to do everything in our power to decipher our situation and praying to make God change it, we hit a wall. We realize that we can't force God to act. So we feel stuck, helpless, and powerless. And this can make us angry, afraid, or both. As kind of listen, going back to that comment that Job made, you can very much hear the anger behind it. Well, let, let's look at how this played out with Job's wife. Early on in the situation, Job 2, it just happened, 
and, and here I'm pulling from the New American Standard Version, she turns to Job and says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, that's an extreme anger. You see, she's lost everything. She's hurting because, and because of it, she's running from God. In her discouragement, she chose to turn her back on God. Now, Job's response is probably not the most sensitive to his wife, but it is honest and to the point. He says, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Now, Job's response is not aimed at her discouragement. It's addressing how she chose to respond in that discouragement. But Job himself had to deal with that too. In fact, we feel the weight of this in Job 27 too, where he basically says, God has embittered my soul. And for Job, instead of turning, but for Job, instead of turning away from God, kind of where his wife wound up, Job presses into that relationship. He demanded answers from God. He wanted God to show up because he wanted to understand what had changed in the relationship. Now, now here I need to, to make an, uh, a note. It's not important. Uh, it is important to note that sin, uh, the discouragement is not a sin. Discouragement is not a sin. It's a real and valid human feeling. What matters is what we do with it and who we let take care of it. See, our natural tendency when we're hurting is to withdraw. We withdraw from our relationships with God and with others because it's easier to hide and try to deal with our problems on our own than it is to expose the depths of our heart and let God and others in. So we retreat into ourselves. And as a result, we can only see what's going on with me and my life. We become me-centered. This leaves us incredibly lonely since the only company we have is ourselves, apart from God and others. See, the thing is, we have a God and Father who is at work doing things behind the scenes and in our hearts that we might never see or realize, even in the middle of that. See, what Job never knew, and what we get to see because of it being written down in the Bible, Job never knew that God was using this situation to show off Job's love for God. It was showing that regardless of the stuff that he once had, he still was in relationship with him. And he used that in the, through the process to teach us how we should be relating to God. You see, Job didn't have the conversation that, that we have in heaven in Job 1, where we hear what's going on between God and Satan having this discussion where it really expresses God's showing Job's love for him. Now see, this is what's so crazy cool about God. Even in the midst of our hurts, even in the midst of our discouragements, even when we're caught in a deciphering attitude, God can and will bring good out of it and show us, really, that the first and greatest thing that we could ever need or want is to be in relationship with him. This is one of the greatest opportunities and really even a blessing 
that comes out of that place where we hit that wall. When we realize we can't force God to act the way we want, we can't do things by ourselves. It forces us to choose if we're going to move away from God or if we're going to move to a place where we run to God as a child. And this is, this is our third attitude this morning. Approaching God as a child is an attitude that turns the other attitudes on its heads. Now see, we're going to call this, this attitude the daddy attitude. It's approaching God as daddy. And so for those of you who came to church on Father's Day, it, this might sound a little familiar, but really it's the, the core of how we need to be relating to God, which means it's worth talking about again. So what's the difference? In deciphering and discouragement, who are we focusing on? We're, we're focusing on me. In coming to God like a child, our focus turns to God. The more we come to God with a childlike attitude, a, a daddy focus, the more it changes what we value most when we approach God in prayer. Now see, whereas with a daddy attitude, with a daddy attitude, the greatest gift and answer we desire is God. It's it's our daddy. Here's what an example of this looks like in real life uh, for us, um, from just from life. Uh, Faith and I saw this time and again, actually, when we were working at Moose Heart with kids, particularly around Christmas, with the kids who were separated from their parents. They could have received a huge stack of gifts. But if given the choice between that, that huge pile of gifts or going home to be with their parents, they chose home every time. The envied gift at Christmas time wasn't who got the most gifts, but who got to ho- go home. Relationship with family was valued more than stuff and activities. This is how we move. This is the daddy attitude. It's the, God, I value you way more than what I can get out of you. So having this daddy attitude not only clearly defines God as our greatest value, but it also transforms our prayer time from an agenda where we want to list out what we want from God into a meaningful conversation. It moves us from going to God in prayer only when we need something to sneaking off to be alone with him like Jesus does throughout the Gospels. Valuing God more also transforms how and what we pray. We pray with complete trust and with a primary desire to know and be more like God. And so we ask for things that help us do this. We ask it for others. We honestly seek God's will to be done while still telling him our hopes and desires, our disappointments and hurts. And really, we see the perfect example of this in Mark 14, 36. When Jesus prays to his Father on the evening before his journey to the cross, he says, Daddy, or he says, Abba, which is Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. 
remove this cup from me. Remove, this situ- remove me from the situation. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Now, Jesus didn't say, not what I will, but what you will, with an attitude of deciphering or even discouragement. He didn't say it to manipulate God to serve his purposes. He said it with a genuine daddy attitude, where he completely trusted in his daddy and put God first. Now, in our prayers and in our lives, when we put God first, it frees us up to respond like Jesus did when we're facing difficult circumstances. It puts our relationship with God, that, that love to come, to come to God like a father, before asking for the stuff. We respond not with a, get me out of the situation, but rather with a, thank you for walking with me in it. Can you see how transformational this attitude is for us as a church? When we all individually work to value what God has to say to us in his word, valuing coming to him with a daddy attitude, we are then in a place where God strengthens us as his body to care for one another. We're in a place where we submit to him, we, we walk with him, and we go on mission with him. Now, what if our priority in prayer as a body moved from a God fix it to a God show up? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be like-minded and not afraid or hesitant to follow God and what he calls us to do, even if it means exposing our own failures. We would be able to move beyond trying to look good on the surface and willing to open up and share what's really going on in our lives. We would help meet the needs of our brothers and sisters by joining them in prayer and in service and supports. We would start praying that the fruit of the Spirit would continue to grow in one another's lives. We'd be praying that God would use every situation, the easy ones and the hard ones, to show just how wonderful God really is. And we'd be praying more for the peace that surpasses all understanding in the middle of what seems incomprehensible. Now, we can follow God with confidence that we can do anything through him who gives us the strength to do it. Philippians 4.13. This is the radical freedom that we have in Christ because life is no longer centered on us. It's about what God is at work doing in and through us. This isn't something that we can just do on our own, but we need God to bring us to this place. Um, this morning, I, I recognize this is something that we, we can't do on our own. We need God to come and help meet us. And one of the really cool things um, at the very end of Job is that God does show up. God does give him that relationship. He, he comes back. He doesn't give him the answers. He doesn't say, okay, Job, this is why I put you through what I put you through. But he does say, hey, I'm God, and I still love you, and I'm still here. I am listening. Um, I just want to encourage us, if we're in that place of discouragement or if we're in that place where we're trying to discern, God God does want to show up. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us in our place. He's the greatest daddy because he is perfectly good, knows perfectly what we need. And he knows first and foremost that what we need is him. We come into relationship with him and we realize that he knows best. We, we submit to him in prayer. We, sub, we trust him as we're walking through circumstances. 
And we celebrate knowing that we've got that relationship with him. We're, we're not alone in whatever we're going through. God's there. And as we seek him out, as we put him first, it, it really transforms how we're thinking about the rest of life. Because it's not about us anymore. It's about letting God show up, letting God be God. So let's pray that God does that in our hearts and in our lives. Father, you are, you are the good, the best Father we could ever have. You know what's good for us. And really, Lord, we, we want to come to you and have that relationship where we're focused on you more than we're focused on ourselves. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us together as a body be encouraging one another to love you first and foremost, to be praying that into each other's lives and that we would celebrate what you're doing, even in the midst of the hard times and in the good times too, Lord. Um, Lord, we thank you that you showed your love so greatly for us in sending your son to die on the cross in our place, where we really did deserve. But your love for us was greater than that. You wanted us to have that relationship with you, so you sought us out. You sent your son in our place, that we can live forever with you. Lord, thank you for that love that is beyond any other love that we have ever seen. Lord, help us to walk and rem- as with you as your children and remember that. Pray in your name. Amen.